Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to the Anthro Alert Podcast, where we take our live show from Minnesota Radio and publish it for you as a podcast for you to listen to at your convenience, whether you're sitting at home, driving in a car, or you somehow stumbled upon this and you don't know where you're at, you're going to listen to Anthro Alert, and it's about anthropology, and it's super cool, so I hope you enjoy it. Hey, Bulls, you're listening to the Bulls Radio. WUSF 89.7 HD3 Tampa, 16.20 a.m. on campus, and streaming worldwide at TuneIn.com and the TuneIn app. It's uh, 3 a.m., uh, not 3 a.m., but 3 p.m., uh, and sunny afternoon in Tampa. You know what that means. It means you're listening to Anthro Alert. So if you haven't listened to our show before, let me tell you a little bit about what it's, what it's about, what you're going to be listening to and experiencing for the next 45 to 60 minutes. So this show simply is about anthropology and why it matters. Each week we'll discuss how anthropology is relevant and over time we'll feature various guests from right here in the Department of Anthropology at USF to discuss their research and to have them weigh in on everyday topics or current events. We believe that this is a good opportunity for us as anthropologists and as anthropology students to better connect with the USF community and to raise awareness of the value of an anthropological perspective. So just like every week, we like to preface our show with the disclaimer that the, state which the statements we make and the opinions that we express or that our guests express um, here on Anthro Alert are our own and may not necessarily be representative of anthropology as a discipline, the USF Anthropology Department, USF as an entity, or student government. Or the most royal USF squirrel. Yes, all of all of the royal family of squirrels. So today we have another returning guest. We have Anthony Tricarico back on the show. This afternoon we're going to be talking about um, a little bit about archaeology again, traditional ecological knowledge, um, and how anthropologists can engage um, with local communities in talking about this this type of knowledge creation and, and, and local knowledge. You know, as it relates to anthropology and, and archaeological um, work. So, hello, Anthony. Hello. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for volunteering to be on again. <laughs> it seems like we're getting more people interested in, in coming back on the show, and that's great. And we love to have newcomers and people that have already been on the show. So, um, you know kind of the, the flow of the show, so we're just going to hop right into some questions so, Anthony, um, you know, what, what got you interested in, in doing this type of work? And, and can you tell us a little bit about what traditional ecological knowledge is? Sure. So I'll address the, the first part of your question first. Great. Uh, what really got me, this work is, encompasses uh, what it really means to be an applied anthropologist. Mm -hmm. So not going into a community and saying, this is what I'm going to do, but say these are the skills I have as an anthropologist. Right. What can I help you with in your community? Mm. So in terms of traditional ecological knowledge, uh, there's been a dichotomy and it's decreased within the last couple decades or so between what quote-unquote scientific knowledge and then mm. traditional ecological knowledge or how local communities think about the environment, how they think about the ecosystem around them and how they interact with the environment. Great, and so um, in doing your 
Um, if our listeners uh, remember to your last episode, you do your field work within West Antigua, uh, correct? Uh, the eastern, eastern half, uh, eastern of, half Antigua. of Antigua. Yeah, so, so Anthony, you're a PhD student here at the University of South Florida. This is your third year in, that, in that program? Okay. And so have you have you experienced or what experience have you had um, so far with tradi traditional ecological knowledge or is this um, a newer part of your research that you're trying to engage with? So it's definitely a newer aspect of my research. Okay. So what I'm interested in in Antigua, just as a reminder, is learning about how past environmental interactions have shaped the contemporary landscape, mm. particularly how it shapes issues surrounding landscape stability and soil quality. So what I'm interested in is gaining the perceptions of local community members about landscape uh, quality and soil quality. Mm. So how do they interact with the landscape? What can they, they farm these days? What are they growing? Uh, are they noticing or they, what perceptions do they have about landscape quality uh, and landscape integrity? Mm. So in talking about perceptions and you know, kind of the goals you're trying to get or the questions you're trying to get at in your field work. Um, can you sort of broadly touch on how anthropologists understand or, or go about understanding this type of knowledge, so this type of local ecological knowledge? So it's changed uh, over the last couple of decades. So traditionally what you find is a dichotomy or a difference between local knowledge and scientific knowledge or knowledge of the economy. Mm -hmm. Now, what this was prior to the 1980s or so was valuing different knowledges as value-based or uh, fact-based. Right. So scientists would would have believed that their knowledge was fact-based, whereas local knowledge is value-based. Mm -hmm. But what I'm really uh, interested in is treating these two different systems as I like to say different, yet not disparate. They're one and the same, okay. just have different terms for the same words. Hmm. That's an interesting, can you elaborate a little bit on that, um, on the difference between difference and being different and being disparate? Sure, so there's a new push uh, in one aspect to create databases of traditional ecological knowledge, okay. which are in one sense not ultimately the most appropriate avenue to go down. Uh, however, uh, what we're finding is that, uh, for example, the database I'm thinking about asked local community members their definition of environment. And what we find is that there's, or what other anthropologists have found, that there's different definitions for what local community members think of as environment. And mm -hmm. they are sometimes different than what we think about here. Uh, however, they're they're not different. They all, um, what I like to believe is working with the local community to share or solve shared uh, environmental concerns. Hmm. So, so when I think of that, and I'm trying to like make a comparison of what, of what that is, is I'm thinking that, um, so my own personal definition of envir environment would be everything around me. So not, not necessarily only the un, uh, so not necessarily only the natural stuff like the the natural green and brown things like trees and dirt but also the way the environment is built and also the way i feel within my environment like like uh, the way i feel 
as a student here at, at USF living in Tampa, Florida, mm-hmm. that's kind of like I look at environment as more of a holistic type definition, but uh, obviously I'm sure that that's part of the conflict, whereas you have different mm, uh, different stakeholders who have different ideas of what the environment is, and especially when we're talking mm-hmm. about stuff like local um, local knowledge construction and conservation or ecological projects that that could be problematic mm-hmm. if there's i mean if there's conflict i guess right right um yeah i'm sorry i lost my train of thought there yeah i uh. I, I rambled for a <laughs> bit <laughs> rambled like a rambling cow so uh <laughs> anthony anthony touched on kind of um i guess what we would view as more of the western scientific quote unquote you know the more empirical knowledge creation form that we have here and i think you mentioned like the academy you know of like hypotheses and the scientific method and you know fact based or or whatever so how you know how do you compare tek to you know this more natural science par- paradigm well it's different depending on which community you work in yeah. uh, and i think renee had on a few different interesting points and how the way even here in academic community we think about the environment today has ultimately changed from the way the broader community has looked at the environment before and Mm -hmm. perhaps may still in certain cases do. Uh, For example, uh, Renee, you touched on this holistic aspect of nature. So looking at those anthropogenic or human-induced aspects of nature or those natural aspects of nature. Right. And working in one reciprocal uh, fashion. However, it's not always been that case. The traditional idea of an ecosystem service, Mm -hmm. whereas the environment is there to serve humanity, uh, is a completely different concept. So you see a change even in just the general public on how we view the environment. Right. Yeah, that's an interesting because, you know, maybe some people view... You know, it's interesting to me to see how people view the environment in relation to whether you view human beings as a species as part of the environment or, like you said, the environment sort of being an outside resource in which sort of we can we can take or, or give or whatever, but not specifically humans being a part of that outside environment. Yeah, well, if I could ramble a little bit more for a bit. Go you for know, it. Yeah. <laughs> Like you, like Spencer, you bring up a very good point. Like it depends on how people view their role um, in the environment and mm-hmm. how, and and that relationship. So, for people who have perceptions or beliefs that the environment is there to uh, benefit them or to serve them, then that mentality could um, it, it it basically it creates a different paradigm compared to somebody or a different organization that has a different perspective so that the environment is not necessarily there as a resource mm-hmm. but more so as like a home right right so like are you trying to just reap benefits from the environment or is the v- environment something that's sort of generating life for the community or you know i guess resources yeah because or are you abusing the environment around you yeah, because if I have a bunch of trees that I can chop down and sell, awesome. Now I made some money off of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, what what does that do 
to the ecological that eco that that ecosystem with now a uh, very mm. few trees. Getting into some real philosophical questions here. <laughs> That's that is how I live my life. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I guess we have to. Yeah, I'm interested in sort of looking at a lot of anthropologists look at TEK historically and even even now and archaeologists, anthropologists. But I think a lot of or at least some other disciplines kind of uh, work with local knowledge as well. Um, quote unquote, sort of, you know, how is this knowledge scientized or, you know, brought into the Western paradigm of science. Anthony, could you can you comment on well, that? Well, before you do that, Anthony, could, can you maybe talk a little bit about what it means for something to be scientized? Oh, yeah. That's good oh, question. certainly. So in the last couple of decades prior, uh, prior to that, people, the scientific community, generally looked at traditional ecology, ecological knowledge as something that is value-based or something that is not rooted in scientific facts. Mm -hmm. So when you start to see that the early databases of ecological knowledge or local ecological knowledge uh, coming about, you start to see people only focusing on that knowledge, which has some sort of scientific use or scientific or value to the scientific community. Uh, so that is what I, what I meant by that, the scientization of uh, local knowledge. And mm -hmm. you see that changing today. So you now see a focus on incorporating the local community as active participants rather than just consultants in your research. Hmm. Great. So I, I think this would be a good time maybe to stop and take a quick music break. And then when we come back, we're going to go deeper into what Anthony was just mentioning about engaging communities and engaging with uh, this traditional ecological knowledge. Hey, Bulls, listening to Bulls Radio, WUSF 89.7, HD3 Tampa, 1620 AM on campus, and always streaming worldwide at TuneIn.com and on the TuneIn app. You're listening to Anthro Alert, and if you've been listening to the show, then you know that we have been uh, speaking with Anthony Tricarico about his research and talking a little bit about traditional ecological knowledge and engaging with communities. Yeah, that's right. So uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm like yelling at the mic. <laughs> Was that really loud? You're yelling at our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> but that's right. I mean, you're listening to Anthropology. This is your, your three o'clock home for anthropology every Friday here on WSF. Um, now, Anthony, as, as we talked about when we opened the show, Anthony is a return guest, and he's, a, he's actually the first guest that we have ever had on Anthro Alert. Um, it was on our second episode, and we talked where we featured him. And our conversation that day was on his Ph.D. research, you know, looking at soil analysis and, um, or isotope analysis of soil and uh, anthropogenic soils. So we actually think it's important for Anthony to kind of br bring that up a little bit so we can just kind of remember. Refresh uh, our memories. Yeah, just kind of get better context for what we're talking about today. So I'm a geoarchaeologist, and what I'm researching in Antigua is specifically how those long-term legacies of historic sugarcane monoculture. Because in Antigua, uh, beginning around the mid-1600s, you find uh, nearly 300 years of intensive sugarcane production. So what are the impacts to landscape quality? What are the impacts to uh, soil quality have that had on the contemporary landscape? Mm. So I'm combining uh, different techniques such as physical and chemical uh, soil sampling, uh, 
employing geomorphological surveying, um, augering, uh, really doing a complete soil analysis to try to figure out what impact uh, did all of these uh, centuries of sugarcane monoculture have to the contemporary landscape. Great. Um, yeah, my my memory is is refreshed. I remember about talking about <laughs> talking about all all of the soil, all of the things about soil. Um, but you know, there's an interesting connection between what we have been talking about uh, traditional ecological knowledge and and sort of looking at what um, you know the land degradation that you're looking at from the past. So how how can we engage with communities that that are there today and and using this form of you know this local knowledge. Um, to address issues in, in land management or you know conservation or maybe to mitigate effects of, of soil degradation. Yeah, so that's really the next step of where mm -hmm. this research is going. Mm -hmm. So you have you have some sense of what the landscape looks like today. Uh, what are some of the soil integrity and uh, landscape integrity issues? Uh, so how can you help local community members? still farm and produce food for themselves, yet mitigating and managing all of these contemporary environmental issues. Mm -hmm. So what previous research in the past uh, and other uh, archeological circumstances have found that really the most powerful tool is to work with the t uh, community, mm -hmm. empowering those local community members to help and become a part of the research process, not necessarily consultants in that research. Mm -hmm. Uh, for example, uh, trying to develop land management strategies and environmental mitigation strategies, you want to involve local community members because it's been found that that is the most long-lasting solution to mm. those land management strategies mm -hmm. and a way of having farmers actually follow through and continue with those land management strategies. Right. So how do you... Um, can you elaborate more about sort of, you know, why why communities respond better to being, you know, a stakeholder in this research opposed to just being consulted about what's going on? You know, anthropologists usually learn about this, these types of knowledge, and when they're there, they engage with the community, and you know, they do the types of qu or they answer the types of questions or look at the types of questions that you're looking at, opposed to maybe like a conservation organization or a development organization that may just consult these companies about what or not companies but communities about what's going on, and then you know they'll go about doing their own processes or what they view as maybe fact-based or evidence-based interventions for the land. So. Um, you know, can you speak to a little bit more about why why it's better, or you know, why communities, you know, will respond better to being, you know, an active participant in this type of research opposed to just being, you know, asked about what's going on. Well, you, well, so this is Renee. So it just seems that I mean, if if I were in charge of something and I needed a community to do something, I could just tell them what to do and they would they would do it. I mean, I r like really like what's I guess that's the point, right? Right. Well, as anthropologists, uh, we promote this sense of multivocality in our research, mm -hmm. where involving all of the voices of our research participants and those uh, who we are studying. So that involves uh, really incorporating community members into our research and not, uh, as in research in the past, marginalizing those, those groups who we are researching. Mm -hmm. So how... Um, 
do you know how anthropologists or you know this research in general is is going about kind of um incorporating or maybe defending this type of knowledge as as not just value based or maybe subjective but you know it's also beneficial and has some sort of maybe objective benefit to to the landscape since these communities have you know been using this land and around this environment for a long time so in terms of anthropological methods that yeah. have been employed and work to empower these local uh, community members and local mm -hmm. stakeholders uh, interviewing is one of the, the oldest and one of uh, still the best ways of empowering your local community so right. for example uh, what I want to ask in Antigua and what I've already started to look at is asking local community members what are they farming today mm -hmm. uh, are there any things that they cannot grow getting at those perceptions that they may have of uh, landscape quality issues or uh, have you seen any changes in what you can grow over time so looking at those short-term changes and in landscape integrity that might have been occurring in the last few generations or so can you uh, can you elaborate a little bit on what you've been finding when you ask these communities in, in Antigua you know what what types of things have, are they not able to farm you know currently that maybe past generations have been so what I'm finding um, is that there is really active consideration there's uh, a knowledge that there is some landscape integrity soil quality issues going on uh, for example for our guests who remember um, what I was discussing with my research last time I was here um, I look at the various uh, soil horizons to try to gain a sense of landscape integrity or landscape stability so uh, archaeologists uh, the like to think of the different horizons or different strata of the earth as different layers uh, every all ag agriculture you would farm really sits in the B uh, soil layer or the layer that's just below the top soil mm -hmm. so what you find after nearly 300 years of sugarcane monoculture is that B layer is significantly degraded and more shallow or completely gone so that obviously impacts what you can grow on the landscape mm -hmm. For example, uh, anything that needs a larger root system, which will require, obviously, a, a much deeper B uh, soil horizon, mm -hmm. will not be able to grow in the landscape. So what I've seen people grow are those different plants that have shallow root systems, um, okay. tomatoes and things like that. Right. Okay. Um, you know, so I guess these, these mm, you know, what... What kind of ef effects on the community have, you know, not being able to grow certain crops? Have you seen, you know, any changes in within the farmers or, um, you know, like what kind of deleterious effects have have there been on the current community of not being able to grow certain certain crops? So seeing those changes in farmers mm -hmm. over time would obviously uh, yeah. necessitate a much longer, longer study than just right, one right. field season. Mm -hmm. um, but what you really find is uh, it's a complicated and multifaceted issue. So mm. one, not being able to grow certain foodstuffs might lead to food uh, insecurity, other food uh, issues, mm -hmm. or it might, uh, and there's also uh, economic issues. So a lot of the food is still imported into Antigua. Mm -hmm. uh, and then what they're trying to do is to have 
a fully sustainable island of uh, able to produce all the food for themselves. Uh, so what they're especially, uh, there's been some research done looking at what's been happening since the 1980s and the amount of food they're having to import uh, is steadily increasing, mm -hmm. which is impacting the economy. Now, there's many other factors that are impacting the economy and many different reasons for why they're having to import all those different, uh, much more food into the island. Hmm. Have you, so given this kind of new aspect of your research and, and engaging with the communities and, and looking at um, traditional knowledge with the farmers, have you thought about any ways in which, you know, we can start to, to go about improving uh, or mitigating soil degradation or kind of in improving maybe farming techniques or the ways that we can kind of um, improve the soil quality? So that's definitely uh, a feature aspect. Once uh, hmm. all of the, the research is complete, I get a, a fuller picture of the exact extent of uh, right. the soil quality issues. Yeah, absolutely. However, uh, there's been many different techniques in terms of farming techniques, uh, different types of tillage, different types of plowing, uh, different types of fertilizer that have been attempted to add to the soil. Um, but you, the challenge you have is that in some areas, you are completely missing a, a bee horizon, uh, which is what all of the root system would sit in. Uh, so how do you gain that back? Mm -hmm. uh, more so than just adding right. sort of fertilizer to the soil, you have to add something to grow in. Right. So can you can you explain again about, you know, the A and, and B soils and, and the difference and, you know, kind of why why that matters in, in growing crops? Right. So um, as anthropologists, we always we always tell our students to think of stratigraphy like a birthday cake or like a sandwich right? okay. where there's different layers to that cake. Mm -hmm. And the earth is the same exact way. So there's different layers to the soil. The A layer th or the A horizon uh, would be that topsoil, the things we walk on every single day. Okay. Now that, that B horizon that uh, sits just below is where all the agriculture lies uh, or where okay. all the root systems would extend into. Okay. Uh, on Antigua, what you find is that there's A, B, and C horizons in the majority of areas. Uh, C would just correspond to the underlying geology of whatever area you're working in. Mm -hmm. uh, the areas where I'm mainly focused is limestone-based. Okay. So is, th is that why farmers, like, till the land to get, like, the B soil up with the A soil or to get the A soil, like, you know, out of place so they can grow their crops? Or uh, It has a lot to do also with aeration of, okay. of the soil. Um, um, yeah. There's many um, different reasons. I'm unfamiliar with farming techniques, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, tillage is actually um, a more recent uh, technique oh, employed okay. across Antigua, and okay. you're also finding uh, other issues that are coming about with uh, mechanical tillage. So you have the the limestone layer from the, the C layer now coming up to the surface hmm. because you meant to till the B, but in those areas they don't have a lot of, B layer left or very, very little, mm. the plow will extend into the C layer. So you're finding these mm, large chunks gotcha. of limestone sitting on the surface. Gotcha. Now you have to try to get your plants to grow in a field that has various mm. limestone inclusions all over it. Okay. Yeah. That can be that can be problematic, I imagine. <laughs> all right. Well, I think we're going to take uh, another music break, and then we will be back talking about traditional ecological knowledge.
Hey Bulls, listening to Bulls Radio, WSF 89.7 HD3 Tampa, 16.20 a.m. on campus and streaming worldwide at TuneIn.com and on the TuneIn app. We are winding down the show for this week. Uh, We have a few more minutes to talk with Anthony about his research um, in Antigua and about, you know, local knowledge and, um, you know, soil and and land degradation and things of that nature. But uh, what we're going to get at now is really the interdisciplinary aspects of, you know, anthropology or just this type of work in general, um, because Anthony actually uses... um, you know, a fair amount of research methods from, you know, archaeology, anthropology, and, you know, other sciences to, you know, to form this holistic uh, research approach. So, Anthony, can you, uh, can you talk to us more about that? Yeah, certainly. Uh, so, my research is heavily interdisciplinary, incorporating mm-hmm. different methods from not only anthropology and archaeology, from different fields, as you said. So, what I'm really focused on is looking at in the larger, broader scope of my research in Antigua, I was looking at these reciprocal uh, human interact, human environmental interactions. So how humans in the environment have interacted over time, uh, and then how that has, of course, impacted the contemporary landscape. Now to do that, um, it involves archaeological techniques, studying what's happened in in the past. It involves uh, interviewing. Uh, anthropological techniques to study the contemporary population on the landscape. Uh, It also involves, uh, I'm a historical archaeologist, so I have the the benefit of looking at some historical documents to try to piece together uh, how the environmental perceptions during the historic period. So, for example, um, looking at historical records to determine what historical people knew about uh, environmental degradation during their time, and they didn't do anything about it. Uh, so what the inter- some of the interesting uh, phenomena that have occurred around various parts of the Caribbean where sugarcane was grown is that you find people had a sense that they were altering the, the landscape and changing the environment. Now, they had that sense based upon different fluctuations in yield over time uh, and how certain land management strategies they were employing weren't necessarily paying off year after year in the same exact amount of yields. Uh, in places like Barbados, another large sugar island, you start to see uh, these ideas or the idea of land irrigation coming about in uh, even the, the mid to late 16th century. So you see a dichotomy between those land management practices that are applied in Europe versus what were being applied in uh, the Caribbean and why. Uh, and that's some of the questions and some of the interesting aspects you can get into with historical research. Uh, I also employ soil sampling. So I take different uh, samples from all of the different soil layers we were discussing and analyze them, not only doing various physical analyses, uh, but chemical analyses. So I'm looking at the percentage of organic matter. I'm looking at the various elemental concentrations in them to gain a sense of the fertility of those soils. Uh, through that, you can gain a sense of, um, well, what I like to say and uh, what other anthropologists have rightly said is you could only, uh, the contemporary picture of the landscape is a culmination of all the previous actors that have acted upon it. Mm. So if you think about the long history of when people arrived in Antigua versus 
uh, where they are uh, versus what actions are being taken on the landscape today. Mm-hmm. You have to look at all of that when you're looking at the soil. Yeah, it's an uh, interesting. Sort of these it. these cumulative impacts to what's happened to the landscape. Hmm. So I use um, portable X-ray fluorescence uh, to look at uh, the elemental concentration of the soils, looking at those essential nutrients for plant growth and other things that have been added over time as well, such as strontium and lead. Uh, now, strontium and lead aren't essential for plant growth, but you often find them in uh, soils across Antigua and those areas that have been heavily impacted by human activity. Mm-hmm. Um, so strontium is present in various levels naturally in soils anyway, um, but lead is introduced with various agricultural industrial activities. Right. So the you can look at the very intensities of different elements, mm-hmm. uh, which will tell you different things about how that landscape was used over time. Hmm. So, so many of these, um, many of these words that you just used, like such as X-ray fluorescence. Did I get that right? Um, just to remind our listeners, this is uh, you could have heard the the greater detailed version of this um, in Anthony's first appearance of Anthro Alert, which is now available on YouTube. So go on, check it out. Uh, you can f- you can find that on anthroalert.com but mm. great yep um going going back to your methods though um you know how, was there a certain way you went about deciding to use these different techniques or you know w- did you always set out to have interdisciplinary research or was it just sort of you know the questions you were wanting to ask you know kind of pushed you towards certain methods and you just kind of picked them up along the way well, within archaeology, you always want to gear your methods to try to best answer your questions. Right. Um, and within geoarchaeology, it's stated that you always want to have some idea of the laboratory methods that you're going to employ after when you're in the field collecting your samples. Right. Uh, so yeah. wha- when you're collecting your samples, what might be best for uh, collecting or gaining at that, getting at that elemental concentration? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's various techniques. Um, PXRF is becoming uh, more widespread in soil, but it's still a, a new ac- technique when you, um, in terms of applying it to soil analysis. Mm. Great, that that makes sense because, like, if you're going to, you know, if you have a question, but you you, you know you need to know how you're going to analyze that so you know best how to collect the data when you're in the field, right? Instead of haphazardly collecting samples and then getting back to the lab and being like, well, how am I, you know, what am I going to use to to analyze this <laughs> or, you know, to to even pull any valuable data out of this. And that's where also your sampling strategy comes in. So where are you going to take those samples mm-hmm. from the landscape? So where am I going to take those soil samples? Uh, I have the, the benefit of using historical maps. So I know oh where okay. the, the sugarcane plantations were on the historic landscape. Mm-hmm. So if I match that up to the contemporary landscape, I know exactly where or roughly the areas where I may want to take soil samples to gain access or uh, knowledge about how production has impacted those landscapes today. Mm. Yep, great. Uh, this has all been pretty interesting, and we we liked having you on the show again. Anthony, thanks for coming back and talking to us about your research. We always we always love to hear what people are doing in the department. Everybody has such fascinating research, um, and we love hearing about it. Um, like Renee said, yeah, um, no, exactly. And yeah. and uh, Anthony, are are you? What are you doing right now? Are you teaching? 
Are you, just, are you just, what are you doing? I am teaching right now and conducting more research. What classes are you teaching? Uh, I teach the Intro to Anthropology, so 2000 level. So okay, really? so as an archaeologist, you're teaching the Intro to Anthropology. And, oh. that's, and that's not unheard of, yeah. because archaeology is a part of anthropology. Yes. Um, and uh, this isn't the first time teaching that course. I think you've, you were teaching it last semester, too? Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, most interesting thing that you've seen this semester from your students? Most interesting thing. Well, all of my students are great, so <laughs> uh, everything is everything is interesting. Yes, exactly. Yes. That's the perfect answer. In case your students <laughs> are listening. <laughs> yeah, are they? Did you tell them? I told them to listen. Okay. That there, there might be a special guest on today's radio show. So oh, yeah. fantastic. Um, you know, there's a survey out there somewhere. Oh. Yeah. For our listeners, an anthro alert, we have recently developed a, a survey. Why don't, you, why don't you tell them about it, Renee? S so in an effort to measure our impact and guest satisfaction we have a survey out there so you can find the survey an on anthroalert.com mm. or maybe it's already sitting in your email inbox if if you've had a close relationship with the show as i'm sure many of the four people listening did have <laughs> exactly and so you can fill out that survey we have different questions for if you're a listener <coughs> if you're a guest or if you're a listener and a guest and so you can give your satisfaction ratings, and uh, we have some short answer sections in there, so you can throw us some feedback and let us know what you think and how we can improve in the future. And we hope that uh, you've enjoyed Anthro Alert so far, but we're always looking to improve. And uh, once again, we thank Anthony for coming on. We hope you join us again when you've uh, maybe further along in your research when you find out what's what's going on and um we can you can come back and and talk to us yeah thank you for having me that'll be great yeah anthony do you think you will be our first three-time three-time guest if you invite me back sure absolutely you always have an uh invitation to anthro alert so y yeah the bulls radio studio is your third home after your first home where you live and your second home, the SOC building. <laughs> well, it's reverse, right? So oh, SOC yeah. building. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's true. Uh -huh. That's true. All right. Well, I think we have to wrap up the show for this week. We thank you all for listening. We hope that you enjoyed the conversation because I know that, that we did. Um, you know, Interesting topic, and there's a lot of research out there and research that still needs to be done. So once again, we thank Anthony, and we hope you all have a nice weekend. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>